Why, hello and a howdy, we're so very glad to see you Cause we're getting kinda rowdy and we've got a lot to say And we're gonna try and do our very best to entertain you And we hope you'll be delighted by the time you go away That's pretty exciting, right Omega? Indeed! Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. H-I-A-C Talk Radio. We don't have any breaking news tonight. I, I've che- I keep checking. <laughs> After last week, because it was like, hey, by the way, a legend died. Oh? So, um, I'm keeping track of anything. So far, so good. Um, but I'm Dan Calchico. With me is Craig Lagans, as always. And we have some stuff to talk about. We have the ending of the the ending of things on this episode of uh, Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Uh, the first one being, it seems like that the relationship between Jeff Hardy... And the WWE is is unfortunately over. And I say unfortunately because I mean Jeff Hardy it, it's this is this goes beyond work and work rate and booking and all those keywords that everybody used likes to use on the internet and um all that kind of thing. Uh this is another substance issue, and I really I really gotta feel for the guy. I mean when you're when you're an addict you're always recovering you're never fully healed you never will be Mm-mm. you could go 10 20 years feel great and be like <clears throat> my stepfather went 20 almost 30 years without picking up heroin he only died from it it's never mm-hmm. the, the 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 fight is never older oh older mm-hmm. it's never over Mm-mm. and uh jeff has hit another rough spot and i really hope for his sake that um that not wrestling sake his sake Don't give a crap if he ever wrestles again as long as he's okay uh he comes out of it and uh wwe offered <clears throat> him to rehab again mm-hmm. uh he declined they mm-hmm. released him mm-hmm. and i hope uh aw or any other um prospects that might want to sign him uh enable him to not <laughs> go back mm-hmm. to work so soon and and stay home and get you know, go wherever he needs to go, do whatever he needs to do to get helped. Apparently, there was a house show where it was a very similar situation. The infamous match between him and Sting at mm-hmm. Turning Point, what, 2011 at this point? I don't even remember the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he was clearly under the influence. Uh, it didn't get that far this time. There was a couple things that happened in the ring, and he was told to get the hell out. So we and got he, out. Yeah, and but and he left through the crowd, which yeah. is very disturbing. I mean, we we talked about it on this podcast about wrestlers going through the crowd. Now it's nothing because the fans know it's a show. Yeah. So it's not, but still, it, I I've always hated when wrestlers have anything to do with the crowd, whether it's walking through, making an entrance, or leaving or fighting. It's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Okay, I've I've never liked it. So when I heard. He left the ring and went through the crowd and didn't return. That's what that was the most concerning thing to me. 
Because if they told him to leave, if an agent came up to where the ref or somebody threw an earpiece said, Jeff, get out, why not just go through, you know, go up the way you came? But going through the crowd to me was very, um, uh, very troubling. Uh, and having hearing Jeff Hardy refuse to rehab, uh, was, well, the hearing Jeff Hardy was released was less troubling. Um, he said no to rehab, which is when they released him, which is why they released him, I should say. Because obviously, WWE, if a wrestler has a problem, they'd be more than happy now to help that, uh, that, that wrestler, you know, go through, you know, to, to get through his, uh, uh, to fight through his demons. But I also understand rehab isn't for everyone. Um, and you have yeah. to want to go. Yes. Yeah. And and Jeff, who's 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 been to rehab before? This is not his first time. He's been let go by the WWE, but obviously because they care, they've cared so much about him is why he's been able to return as many times as he has. Because when Jeff Hardy is, he has all his faculties. He's one of the top you know wrestlers they've ever had in the company. Back when they started, when they were both nineteen with the company, you know, when the two of them together didn't equal two hundred pounds. Um, so he's been a long time loyal employee. And as soon as he got released, I, you know, it, the nature of the business now is like, oh, AEW's got to sign him now. But the Hardy Boys is back together. Hardy Boys back together. Like, you know, this is perfect. AEW and AEW should swoop in. No. Um, and I understand that how, how, how again, how wrestling fans are now when a, whenever a WWE wrestler leaves or gets released. That's automatically AEW is like the default setting with, you know, what that wrestler is going to do next. In Jeff Hardy's case, um, Jeff Hardy needs to take care of himself. It's like I, I have to ask. I even asked a couple of fans that were, that were crowing for Jeff Hardy and AEW. I said, do you want Jeff Hardy and AEW or do you want Jeff Hardy? Would you rather have Jeff Hardy and AEW or would you rather have Jeff Hardy alive? If Jeff Hardy never wrestles in AEW a day in his life, but he's alive five, ten, a year from now, wouldn't you take that? Yeah. Because Jeff Hardy, I'm not, and I'm saying this on the first time I said this publicly, um, about eight years, um, might have been ten years ago. Um, and unfortunately, because we're wrestling fans, Dan and I, we've, we've been with following the sport for all of our adult lives, and unfortunately we've had to say goodbye to so many wrestlers before their time. Jeff Hardy was in my death pool. Yeah. And I was going to, I would have made a lot um, had he gone, because I didn't, I, Jeff Hardy was was somebody that I didn't think um, could control. Yeah. I didn't want that to happen at all, but Jeff Hardy for a death pool was a safe pick. I had him and Scott Hall for oh for a long while. Well, um, everybody had Scott Hall a long. Time. Yeah, and I'm not saying that because that I'm I'm just Jeff Hardy has had a long history with sub with substance problems. Obviously, we all seen the mugshot. The worst thing that even the, the it's been happening so long that WWE even turned it into an angle with Sheamus. To a, a, a freaking variety show special, a, a car wreck, and it's like, oh, Jeff Hardy Jeff was driving. 
And it, that's when I knew how bad it was because of Jeff Hardy saying, okay, yeah, let's make light of my substance abuse and make that into a, a bit. Um, that's how bad it was. I want Jeff Hardy alive more than I want to see him wrestle. It, and, and it's gotten so hard. It's bad. I said it back before he joined TNA, how Jeff Hardy always looked like he was in pain or Jeff Hardy had to be in pain just for the amount of, of insane bumps that he's taken and that he continues to take. And he's not an old man, but when you're in your early, your late thirties and you've been doing it since you were 17 and the kind of stuff that Jeff Hardy's been doing for that long, it's just, it's, it's painful to watch and it's painful to watch him in pain. Go ahead, yeah. finish what you're gonna say. We know the physical pain he's gotta be in, but you know, the, the emotional and mental pain has gotta be ten times worse. I was gonna say, as far as wrestling, he is an old man. Yeah. It's like any other sport. It's his age, you're aging already. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not useless, you're not useful to anyone. And no. and thankfully for Jeff, it mostly it's not been the case, but it's just terrible. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, the Deadpool. Yeah, he I will st- I will never forget that match with him and Sting where there's a difference between Sting emoting on TV and Steve Borden mad. Yes. And all you have to do is look at that turning point match to see Steve Borden not like fuck you kid ang- mad and concerned. Right. To the point where, you know, I think Bischoff, that WWE special about the Hardys, which is even harder to think exists now, knowing that he's gone again. Yeah. About, um, you know, Bischoff coming out and saying, you know, just do this. Him, I forgot what he said to Jeff and then Sting putting him in the lock, the, the death drop, doing the pin and him scratching, trying to kick out of it. Just a bad situation. Yeah. And yeah. thinking, hey, he's going to be okay. And yeah, yeah, I, I really, uh, he was just on, he was on one of the newer episodes, Jeff Hardy was, of the Stone Cold podcast. And uh, I, I wanted to watch it, and, and look, in hindsight now, I, I should have watched it, because I could have maybe given some indi- indicators. But I saw a clip of it, and it was just Stone Cold showing clips of Jeff's most insane bumps and asking him on a scale of one to ten how much it hurt, and I just I couldn't get through like four of them, and I just shut it off. The whole clip was like a, maybe a minute and thirty seconds, but them just showing these these bumps, and he you know Steve was awesome and go jeez, and he look at Jeff and Jeff go yeah it was about eight, and he's like oh yeah that was about a. Or I, I cracked my tailbone in that one. It's like, oh my god! And it's like, I, again, I couldn't, I couldn't get through all of it. I, that. Was like, I went through like three or four of them. I think, like, all right, I, that's. I bruised my tailbone enough. once at fourteen playing hockey, and I couldn't walk up the stair. I couldn't walk, not on my four limbs for like a day, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get up the stairs without crawling for like a week and a half. Yeah. Like I can't imagine cracking, and then yeah, continuing and, with the match. And all those bumps they, that wasn't the end of the match. That's the thing. That's why I get that was more cringeworthy. He 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 took all these or he cracked his tailbone, and the match wasn't over. He had to keep going. Well, 
I really hope he's going to be okay. And I hope, and I mean this in a positive way for him, that we don't see him on TV for a long time. Mm-mm. And he gets worked out when he needs to get worked out, however long it takes. Uh, I know he's been spending time with Je- uh, Matt right. and the family, so that's good. But mm-hmm. yeah, I hope Obi takes the time. And uh, I also hope the Ring of Honor takes their time before coming back because I don't know where we go from here, folks. Well, uh, Dan, you're going to have to explain to me what happened at Ring of Honor. What was the last stand? Well, I mean, it was it was a great show. It was final battle. They had it, it's usually the pay per view that ends the year anyway. Uh huh. Um, and it was a fantastic show. Um, and 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 it wasn't really a best of the best. They used the people they've been using recently. Had a normal show to cap off, you know, storylines and feuds and all those kind of things. But the big shock to me was a unbelievable match between well defending champion Jay Lethal and somebody who should be on TV every day of the week as far as wrestling in my opinion Jonathan Gresham mm-hmm. uh, you know the name Jonathan Gresham yeah I it, it's a it's it is a legitimate crime that he is not on TV mm-hmm. I, it's a crime him and his wife are not on TV Jordan Grace but that's a whole other podcast, just to steal another gimmick from you, sir. <laughs> um, but he became the world champion. Okay. And I thought it was an amazing way to go out. It should have been him. Jonathan Gresham is... He's shorter, so he gets overlooked. Uh, and you know, still in 2021, as far as promoters go, that aren't indie promoters. You know, the short guys are like, no, yeah, you don't want them on TV. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's going to hold him back from Vince or AEW, which is funny because AEW's got a bunch of short people. Um, yeah. But they're, you know, they're still pushing them boys on uh, AEW. Mm-hmm. Right. The good old boys, the good old Cody boys. Um, but he went out as world champion. And there was a bunch of tributes in and out. Uh, a lot of people were acknowledged. Jim Cornette was put over for without Cornette. There is no ROH kind of deal. The only person that wasn't really put over was uh, the guy who created it. Fuck that guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The less said, the better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was almost done. Note perfect. Except. In the ring. And, and Craig, especially you, if you don't know who any of these guys are, you'll recognize some of these names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I implore you to check these guys out. Check out their body of work. Okay. At the end of the show, it was Shane Taylor. It was Khan. It was Malcolm Moses. It was O'Shea Edwards, the guy I've told you about a hundred times in this show. Mm-hmm. It was Ron Hunt. It was Caprice Coleman. Cheeseburger. Kenny King. Jonathan Gresham. Oh, no, Jonathan Gresham wasn't in the ring at the time. All these guys. Mm-hmm. Literally the backbone of ROH the last few months. It's not the last year. All the African-American guys. Right. What did they show on the pay-per-view? 
CM Punk. <laughs> That's what they did. Mm-hmm. So you had him over. All the guys stood in the ring, put yeah. the fist up, and said goodbye. And what did we see on TV? CM Punk <laughs> saying goodbye. The most vanilla mother effer in wrestling right now <laughs> on TV. And <laughs> welcome back, Bizarre Gaming. And I'm going to be honest. It annoyed the hell out of me. (laughs) Not even the race part of it. The fact that Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. I am such a, my voice cracked. Uh, (laughs) You know, I will put O'Shea Edwards over to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. That dude is everything anybody wants in a wrestler in a main event. And he's not on TV. Boggles my mind. Please look him up, Craig. Your assignment. Okay. I want to. I want you to look up O'Shea Edwards next week. Yeah. Next week, I will. I'll I will send you matches. I'll send you shit. Thank One you. of the most amazing things I've ever seen mm-hmm. is a local when prime time was still running before the. Uh, this was January 2020. Okay. This was yeah, obviously right before everybody everything went to shit. Right. O'Shea Edwards is a bad guy. Okay. All of the local kids in D.C. when he came out were all over this dude. It was like the second coming right in front of just 15 kids. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't help but cheer the guy. I mean, I cheer the guy because I like him as a wrestler. I like him as a person. Amazing person. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, you saw a mini version of Rock and <laughs> Hogan yeah. at WrestleMania right. happened in front of about three hundred people at the Rex at a Rex Center in DC. Mm-hmm. And not that I wasn't a mark before that moment, but I was a mark for O'Shea <laughs> efforts ever since, and I'm still a mark for the guy. The yeah. fact that he's not on TV again is 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 the most annoying pain in the ass thing i've ever it's just it's annoying to me it's annoying to me uh where would you stick him i don't care anywhere impact wwe AEW. put him on the main event he'll out wrestle and outshine most of the guys there Mm -hmm. just my opinion i mean i'm right on that fact but (laughs) it's not really an opinion it's fact but what do i know I wasn't really triggered by the end of our, but it made me chuckle in the way where it was like, here you have a perfect moment, and it's going to be the picture on the uh, in, uh, on the intro and on the podcast show, and you saw yeah, it. It's the picture I, I shared on. Right. Yeah, nobody saw that on TV. It was, it was CM Punk yapping, <laughs> saying goodbye. Because, you know, we need another CM Punk promo on another TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the story with ROH? Nobody knows. Okay. It's I have as much of an answer as I did months ago when it happened and it went down. Um, I've heard people are getting paid through March. Okay. Which is good, but yeah. that's it. That's it. It's over. Um, I personally get the same feeling I got when WCW shut down, where it was like, even though it was left open-ended, mm-hmm. you knew it was over. Right. And though ROH wasn't signed or 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 sold to anybody else as of this moment of mm-hmm. this recording, right? 
it's the same feeling where, where WCW was bought by WWE, even though Vince was like, it left it open-ended and they used it for a storyline, which we all know, which was minimum mm-hmm. at best. You knew it was over. Yeah. I get the same feeling. I, I think this is over. And it's really unfortunate. Because yeah. there was... I, I know I'm going to get... I could catch flack for this. It wasn't ECW levels in that way, but it was ECW levels. And it was all the people that weren't on TV were on TV because of this show. Yes. And the amount of stars that ROH has produced over the years is on an ECW level, if not more. If not more, I would say more. I would say more just because of how long ROH. ROH should have been dead twice. ROH mm-hmm. was supposed to die when Fuckface did the thing. Yeah. Uh, blocky Coward. Coward Blocky. As I like. <laughs> Captain Comrade Blocky, as I like to call him. Right. He curses at you, blocks you, and then doesn't. Then Rob, you and me one day on the street, on site. It's not a threat. It's just a promise. Um, <laughs> you know, try me. Yeah. Try me. Fat foot. Go ahead, fat boy. Oh, I will. Um, <laughs> and it arguably could have died a couple years ago. Right. And they were the little engine that could. And it, mm-hmm. and it was nice to. I, I stopped tweeting so much about wrestling because I felt like I was just tweeting on it to answer a, a, a friend of ours who was calling me out. And why am I always negative? Because, you know, love it or leave it. And I refuse mm-hmm. to love it or leave it. I refuse to be part of that. Well, I'm just going to ignore it now. I tweet plenty about people I like. I also tweet plenty about someone who's being a bastard. Right. They don't deserve silence. They deserve the attention, uh, including fuckface we've mentioned before. <laughs> um, but I did stop tweeting a lot because I would live tweet shows. If I didn't watch it live, I'd tweet it You know, after mm-hmm. I watched it. But Wrestling Twitter, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's the same tweets reworded differently by people who are either copying the tweets or just thinking, thinking the same thing. And I don't want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. I will tweet every now and then when I see something amazing, I think it needs to mention. And every now and then I would watch ROH and I would tweet the link because the people I really, really liked were on that show. And it was a good sidetrack from the cluster F of barely rich reaching for a thousand or a million in ratings. You know what I mean? Right. And we don't have it anymore. And I don't know what's going on with Sinclair broadcasting. It's no secret the nefarious company that runs it mm. or, or owns it, not runs it. There's nobody on the staff, I think, is that crappy. I think, I know, is that that crappy? Um, <laughs> be interesting. I, I don't know. I'm hopeless. You're hopeless? Yeah. I think it's over. Okay. I hope it's not. I hope it's not either. I hope they get a reprieve. They've. I I always if if TNA is still a thing now, then ROH has got to be something somewhere else. You know. Well, just um, remember the little little caveat to this. Mm-hmm. If they are for sale and they go and they get bought by somebody else, yes. Hope it's AEW. Mm-hmm. If AEW is something you want to see. 
um, get all their library. Because remember those first two all in, all out shows? Yeah. OH produced them. Yeah. So they're and OH library. So yeah. Vince buys the library. Yeah. And we've seen some AEW talent on, you know, I mean, Jay Lethal's on AEW now. And uh, we saw the Briscoes face off against uh, FTR. Uh, so that's a that's a tag team dream match, you know, waiting to happen. So if AEW is in the lead when it, if it comes to buying another promotion or having some type of working agreement with them, you know, I'm all for that. Just for the just for the matchups alone. You imagine uh, O'Shea against a uh, an MJ uh, a, a, or a powerhouse Hobbs or you know. And Adam Cole, or even a, you know, a Daniel Bryan. I I would put O'Shea Edwards up against Roman Reigns. Oh, that's okay. a match I want to see. Wow. Honestly, mm-hmm. I I would I would I would buy I would buy I would I would sign <laughs> O'Shea Edwards and make him the guy. Okay, I'd have two guys at the top: Keith Lee, O'Shea Edwards. Okay. That's who I want at the top. And, yeah, and it's yeah. crazy to me. And I guess I'm more frustrated about Keith Lee mm-hmm. because he was there. Right. <laughs> God damn it. He's so good. Yeah. I've seen him wrestle everybody mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out what to do with him in WWE. And O'Shea Edwards hasn't even sniffed it. And that's a crime. Not, yeah. not even talking about black, white, green, Gray color, uh, color has nothing to do with this. Talent, period. They are not on TV. It baffles me. Whatever. <laughs> well, Ring of Honor. I hope this. We hope to see you again. Hopefully, it's not goodbye. It's just so long for now. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not goodbye. It's just to see you later. Yeah. Craig, this will be the time for you to take over, my friend. This be the time already? This be the time. He's getting set up. He's getting his mask he's, off and everything. will not last forever. I, well, I think that hopefully the people have, have gotten the message that of the movie that I saw yesterday and the movie that I'm shamelessly promoting, which opens in theaters nationwide tomorrow. Um, if Chris the mask tomorrow? And the uh, tie is not a uh, well at midnight shows. I apologize. Uh, official opening December seventeenth. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is the title of the uh, latest magnum opus uh, from Sony, not Marvel, but uh, the last uh, Sony project with Marvel for now. And after the um, Tom Holland uh, Spider-Man has signed on for three more Marvel projects, so. You will not be the last time we see your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man on the silver screen. But I digest because now it is time as I'm stuck here in the present. I have to go back to a multiverse uh, that occurred on a parallel universe, much like our own Earth, where there was professional wrestling in all 50 states and packed houses in coliseums, stadiums high school, gymnasiums, rec centers across this great country of ours. 
where if you were a heel, walking through the crowd would get you knifed, chair over the back, spit on, and possibly killed because that was the sport we love, professional wrestling. And this, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. Dan, we're going to go back to December 10th in the year of our Lord, 1972. I wasn't even born yet. Yeah, that's what all the youngsters like to say. Whenever I start off a day, this is what happened in 19. Well, I wasn't even... Who I didn't mean to do that to you, you bastards. <laughs> but, I, but I know that's a, that's a young person's like tactic. When I was talking about um, who was that? One of the um, one of the songs like yes, what came? One of the, my favorite songs came out in nineteen eighty seven. Well, I wasn't even. I didn't fucking ask you when you were born. I was telling you <laughs> when the song came out. Maybe it's just the young people in my life. They always feel like they have to qualify when I bring up a date because if you know me for any length of time, I might bring up a date because it's it's stuff that gets stuck in here. Oh, that happened December 10th, 1970, or that happened uh, May 12th or whatever on, on this date or May 6th, 1984. And say, like, well, I was, I, it, you don't have to just, I get it. You're Take young. Notes. Whatever. Don't tell yeah. Craig that you were not born yet. If I so. if I throw out a date, I don't need to know what where where you were in that context. I have a I question. Really what what song were you talking about? Oh God. Nineteen eighty seven. Jesus. Um it, it wasn't Mike and the Mechanics. It was um oh, right year though. Yeah. Because anyway, it was we were talking about Friday night videos. Um oh, and when, uh, and fuck. came out. And um, yeah, I, I forgot. Game in 1987. Um, it because it, it, I was talking about an, an, an innocuous video because I was, I was just you know what though, Craig? Together. Guess what though? I was born at that point. <laughs> just All like, right, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> now we can talk. No, <laughs> anyway, well, the the historic event I'm talking about, Dan, happened in just on December 10th, 1972, and of all places. Rice Lake, Wisconsin. <laughs> now, yes, one of the most historic things on the in the history of professional wrestling okay. took place in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. If the citizens of Rice Lake, Wisconsin would have known then that what they were witnessing was one of the, the most historic events in professional wrestling history, they might have even enshrined that ranking Dick Auditorium that Howls a professional wrestling match that day. For on that day, Dan, December 10th, 1972, in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, George Scrap Iron Gadaski went to a 10-minute draw. Didn't even win. Went to a 10-minute draw with a raw 300-pound rookie named Ric Flair in his uh. first professional wrestling match. I just want to point out how small Rice Lake is. Yes. There's 9,040 people there. <laughs> <laughs> so they they were probably all there. <laughs> they were all there watching some guy named Richard Flair. matches. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I had to look it up. You said rice. Like, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I have no to see does. it. 
Yes, but that was at Rice Lake, Wisconsin, that tiny little hamlet with fewer than 10,000 people in its population housed the very first match in one of the most illustrious careers in the history of professional wrestling. That was the very first professional wrestling match for Ric Flair. So, by the way, when he says 300 pounds, we're not kidding. Before the plane accident, Ric Flair was north of 300 pounds, built like a brick shithouse. He looked completely different. That plane crash, he he dropped 150 pounds around Mm -hmm. and completely changed what he looked like and how he acted and became the superstar who occasionally sexually assaulted women that he was today. Thank you. I was just just kidding everybody. Not really. I was just being sarcastic, though. Yes. Uh, And one of the things that what makes Ric Flair uh, in his professional career such a a a story and such a remarkable story is that Ric Flair after the plane crash, like you you said, Danny, dropped a a whole person and um, got himself back in the ring when doctors told him to never wrestle again. And what Ric Flair proved over the course of the almost 50 years of his career was one of the things he did every day during his professional career, besides drink to excess, was work out. Uh, and even when in small towns like Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where they didn't have a gym, Flair would work out in his hotel room. Uh, the Vern Gagne training manual, 500 sit-ups, 500 push-ups, 500 pull-ups, 500 squats. Every day. Every day of his professional career. And he broke his back, correct? He did break his back. Yeah. And, that and, was, told, and was told never to wrestle again. Uh, but he dropped all the, the weight. And I guess the, what, makes, what made Ric Flair so special is that he was a medical marvel. Um, one of the revelations that came out in the Ric Flair 30 for 30 uh, documentary on him on ESPN, when he went to a doctor to talk about, you know, his uh, the doctor asked him about his uh, his habits, his, his drinking habits, said how many beers he drink, he'd say about 10. And then you have wine chasers, and if, after a match, he has some shots. And this was, you know, and how often do you do this? And he'd say every day. Uh, but because of Ric Flair's, again, one of the greatest physical specimens of his day, because the amount of Ric, the Ric Flair drank, and that was just, again, that was every day, the 10 beers and the wines and the shots and the chasers. And at the same times, the same days he would wrestle, sometimes for an hour every night, uh, he was just in a remarkable shape. And even in later in his life, he had a heart attack and he had surgery and a lot of people thought he would be, and he's still around, you know. He's still around and he almost died like five years ago. Exactly. That's when I, just a, a medical, he is a physical marvel um, for what he has put his body through. And, you know, we were talking about Jeff Hardy early in the episode. Uh, Ric Flair did never took the, the amount of insane bumps that Jeff Hardy did, but the wear and tear that Ric Flair has had on some of those old, ancient, hardest cement mats in the early 70s um, and in all the TV studios that he wrestled in that had makeshift wrestling rings 
that had zero to no gives in 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 Georgia and in Memphis and Florida. Um, just and again every single day, twice on Sundays, sometimes for an hour. Uh, the amount of toll, physical toll that Ric Flair has gone through is you know three times more than what Jeff Hardy has had to go through. But Ric Flair is a physical marvel. Uh, I will put him along with um, George Foreman and uh, Nolan Ryan, guys that just kept going well past, you know, in their 40s that were just still performing at a high level. You know, you mentioned Nolan Ryan, and I know there's going to be some people out there going, Nolan Ryan, you forget that when he was, I don't know, in his mid forties, when him and Robin Ventura got into a scuffle. Yeah. And it wasn't really a scuffle so much as young Robin Ventura went after him. And this old bastard grabbed him in a headlock and just started punching. Like one, two, three. And then he got broken up. (laughs) So it's like, people are not thinking of Nolan Ryan being in shape, but Nolan Ryan beat the crap out of some young and one time. Nolan Ryan pitched a no hitter when he was forty five, yeah. and he had uh, he's still had more no hitters than any pitcher in baseball history, and that's a record that's never going to be broken by a country mile. <laughs> no, um, especially not in a in a game full of relievers and setup guys. Nolan Ryan went every nine innings. Winner, yeah, lose. that's true. That's true. Yeah, and, and no one struck him away. again. It well into his forties, and. Uh, yeah, I mentioned George Foreman winning the World Heavyweight Championship 20 years after he lost it. And during his comeback, when he won all those matches, he never sat in between rounds. He stood between every round. 20 years after he lost the World, the, the Heavyweight Championship of the World in 1994. A little sidebar. You know who we're going to be adding to that discussion one day? Ric Flair, Nolan Ryan. George Foreman. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin. Yes. Because, you know, just a sidebar real quick. I don't have the hockey podcast anymore. I'm going to stick this into the story. Mark my words. Mark this. December 15th, 2021. Barring any major injury with Alexander Ovechkin. You know, you talked about nobody's going to be beating Nolan Ryan's uh, record. Mm -hmm. There is a good chance, even with a COVID shutdown, and two lockouts, Alexander Ovechkin is going to surpass the great one, Mr. Mr. Wayne Gretzky. And it's going to happen in the next three years. So sit, sit tight, fellas. And you know who else you can add to that list? The Alex Ovechkin, George Foreman, Nolan Ryan, Ric Flair of physical marvels and specimen. And I know you don't, people listening may not want to hear this. I don't like saying it, but it's the God's honest truth. When we talk about physical specimens, when it's all said and done, at 44 years old, Tom Brady is playing better than any quarterback in the league right now. I, You know, this is from two Eagles fans, mm-hmm. on a bare minimum, when people are like, uh, uh, screw Tom Brady, I hate Tom Brady. The Eagles beat him. That's it. Moving on. Yeah. Now you can sit back and go, the Eagles beat them. We have a Super Bowl in our lifetime. We just sit back and realize that past all the BS, 
You are literally sitting and watching greatness and history unfold in front of you every weekend that football's played. Period. Mm-hmm. I don't like him either. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Tom Brady is absolutely on that list. And it doesn't pain me to say that because I don't care <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to remind Eagles fans that, yes, we beat Tom Brady and we won a Super Bowl. Guess what? Tom Brady got the lost that Super Bowl to the Eagles, came back the next year and won a Super Bowl. Right after that, we were nowhere to be found. Yeah. How's but, Carson Wentz doing? Yeah. He's doing a little better. But uh, Nick, though. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I, Tom Brady, Alex Ovechkin, watch those two athletes right now, folks, because we were watching, we were, we were witnessing history. After the so show, much. because the, the, the Capitals are playing the Blackhawks. Yeah. And he will probably score because fuck the Blackhawks. Uh, <laughs> but watch it after the show's over. Please. Please. Sorry. Sorry, historian. I've taken over <laughs> way too much. I should. That's okay. Uh, we're going to go to uh, December. I, I bring this up every year. I And it's not to belabor it or just any. It's just it's a point in history which shows you how far we've come. And, you know, we talk about the WWE and AEW competing and the ones that are the, the organizations that are still left ROH uh, Impact um, the organizations that are still here and how they could never work together or, or what it would take for those uh, organizations to work together well on December 13th 1988 the AWA had its first last and only pay-per-view in the entire at this point uh, 48 year history and their existence or 28 year history I'm sorry AWA started in 1960 but in 1988 after years of being the second largest wrestling company in the United States they had their first last and only pay-per-view trying to compete with the uh, WWF and the NWA who were outdrawing them two to one because they'd taken so much of their talent. Well, the AWA ran their card that in a former AWA stronghold of Chicago, hoping to draw a huge crowd because they combined uh, the, the AWA, Memphis, world-class, uh, Puerto Rico, the uh, LPWA, the Ladies Professional Wrestling Association, uh, to get as much as their audience into the AWA pay-per-view. Uh, in that several on this twelve-match card, I'm not going to go through every card, um, but twelve matches from all these different organizations, different federations working together under the AWA banner. And on this pay-per-view, you had so many wrestlers making their their pay-per-view debut on this card. Uh, namely, uh, Cactus Jack made his pay-per-view debut on this card. Um, all three Guerreros um, made their they, Chavo, Hector, and Mondo uh, made their pay-per-view debuts. Um, and so and not without controversy, because you know I, I mentioned all these other federations, organizations were coming together. You know, AWA, world class, 
Memphis, um, the LPWA. And one of the matches on the, the title matches on the card was for the AWE Television Championship, Ronnie Garvin versus Greg Gagne. And uh, okay. Greg Gagne defeated Ronnie Garvin by countout. And Ronnie Garvin, though, left the ring because unbeknownst to everyone except Ronnie Garvin and possibly Vern Gagne, Ronnie Garvin had already signed with the WWE. So he showed up at the pay-per-view as uh, just as a favor. So he walked out of the ring and was counted out. And because they knew there was no there was not going to be a rematch in the future, the AWA TV championship was awarded to Greg Gagne via countout. Simply because Ronnie Garvin did not want to do the job to Greg Gagne and um, was leaving the, and already signed with the WWF anyway. So that's how Greg Gagne became a WWE TV champion. Uh, the main event on the card, and we I we've t- discussed this um, every year it seems. Uh, the uh, AWA champion Jerry Lawler going up against the world class heavyweight champion Kerry Von Erich in a title unification bout. Um, one of the bloodiest matches ever. Uh, because of Kerry uh, K- Von Erich's misstep. Um, I've mentioned on this very podcast so many times about the the, the charisma Kerry Von Erich, the look, the stature. Um, he was a Von Erich that, you know, kind of had the most going for him in terms of a look and making money. Um, he was on a short list of people if... If we've done a what-if episode on this podcast, what if Hulk Hogan wasn't available to Vince McMahon in 1984 to when he was starting his expansion? Uh, Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich were on that list, along with Dusty Rhodes, guys that were going to carry, that could have carried the WWF into the expansion that he wanted. Because Kerry was, was tailor-made for Vince. The look, the body, you know, the charisma. Not so much the mic skills, but Kerry had everything else. Former NWA champion. But Kerry, as great as he was in the ring, and there's no denying it, out of the ring, um, and Jerry Lawler and Ric Flair, two very different people, um, both said in their books the exact same thing about Kerry Von Erich. Jerry Lawler and Ric Flair, polar opposites. But they both agree on one thing when it came to Kerry Von Erich. Great guy, but whenever they had any dealings with him, he was always impaired. Either before the match or just in between. They would see each other, you know, in the arena or in the locker room. Ric Flair detailed in his book before their Texas Stadium match. He went over the, 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 the before their matches uh, in the reunion arena. They would go over a finish. Flair, Ric Flair was someone who hated planned finishes. He liked to call it in the ring. If you had an idea, get it to him in the locker room back when the baby faces and heels couldn't interact. Uh, he'd get a message to somebody else and they would change something. With Kerry Von Erich, he'd have to go over the finish because they'd tell Kerry the finish. Kerry says, I got it. What was it again? Okay, I got it. Okay, one more him? time. What was the finish? All right. 
So on the Texas Stadium show, Carrie, Ric Flair let Carrie know we're going to end with a backslide because even you can't mess that up. It's a simple, most basic thing. <laughs> and that's how it went. So I always wondered, why did Ric Flair, Ric Flair kicked out of every single finishing move on earth? He just wanted it out of there at that point. We're doing a backslide. Yeah. We're gone. We, we, did, we yeah, did backslide. We go home, period. He's kicked out of Jake Roberts' DDT. He's kicked out of Magnum's belly to back suplex, the bionic elbow, the everything, the road warrior power slam, all that. But he lost to a backslide. Um, well, Jerry Lawler had the same problem with Kerry. Um, they knew what they were going in. They knew what the finish was going to be. Um, uh, and it was going to be uh, stopped because the uh, referee was going to stop the bout. Uh, because of too much blood, and Carrie was all set to uh, to blade, uh, but because he was Carrie and because he was impaired, he uh, the blade where he was going to uh, to uh, attach to his wristband, um, he went to get it and it sliced his bicep, sliced it like deep, so. Carrie Von Eric was bleeding like a stuck pig in the dressing room before their match was even in the ring. So Carrie not only had to wear his robe, but had to had to bandage up his bleeding profusely arm. And Jerry had to attack it before the match started. So he ran his his bicep into the into the turnpost. So they can explain all the blood coming out of Carrie's arm. So when Carrie actually did do the blade job on his head, cut way too deep, and the referee, when Carrie had his the claw hold on all Jerry right. Lawler, Jerry's shoulders were down on the mat for more than three seconds. But the referee checked the cut on Carrie's head and called for the bell and say Carrie Von Air could no longer continue. Because he had lost too much blood. Even though Jerry Lawler's shoulders were pinned to the mat. And he wasn't getting up. So Jerry Lawler became the first unified heavyweight champion. Holding both the AWA and the world class titles. Um, <clears throat> well that pay-per-view in Chicago. Is normally an AWA stronghold. In the UIC pavilion. Drew 1,672 fans. Total. And the buy rate of 0.002. So that would be the first, last, and only pay-per-view. Signaling the end. Yes. Um, A month after that, uh, Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett would buy World Class and uh, take that in a different direction. But that would be the uh, the end of the AWA as we know it. And on this date, um, I saw this on my social media of all things. Um, today we lost in 1963, December 15, 1963. Uh, we lost a legend, maybe the father of Japanese wrestling. Uh, I got a, we're talking about wrestlers that, you know, deserve a, Either a documentary, you talk about Ric Flair having his own documentary on ESPN. HBO did a great documentary on Andre the Giant, even though towards the end it turned into the Hulk Hogan show. 
but wrestlers who deserve a documentary or a feature film about them uh, would be this man, the father of Japanese wrestling, uh, died on this day, December 15th, 1963, the great Ricky Dozan. Uh, passed away under uh, mysterious circumstances, still unclear. Um, we do know he was stabbed. Um, whether it was an accident or it was a, a uh, orchestrated hit, um, he uh, his uh, contributions to Japanese wrestling should never be forgotten. Uh, he trained giant, both Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki and Jumbo Saruta, uh to be wrestlers. They all grew up idolizing Ricky Dozan. Ricky Dozan was a star in Japan, not just be because of his wrestling, but a TV star, a movie star. He was The Rock before there was The Rock in Japan. His, just to give you an example, uh, he wrestled Lufez on TV uh, or uh, October 13, 1957. That match, um, you know, we talk about shares, uh, get to four share, or this, you know, gets a two share, and that's great for wrestling now. That match against Lufez in 1957 did an 87 share. 70 million Japanese people watched that match. It was on, they set up a giant movie, a projector screen in Japanese parks so they can watch that match. Every single television in every store window was on so people can watch that match. And that was Ricky Dozan. He had the same one against the, uh, the, the destroyer, Dick Byer. That did 86 million views. Uh, again, the Ricky Dozan in Japan, uh, absolute legend. Even though he was born in Korea, and he's Korean, uh, and the power of professional wrestling, Ricky Dozan, in today's market, he'd be a cruiserweight. He'd probably be an AEW mid-carder. Ricky Dozan was only 5'9", about 220, but what he could do in the ring and the amount of charisma he had out of it was unmistakable, undeniable. Statue is still erected to him to this day in uh, Sapporo, Japan. Um, more than 8,000 came to see his funeral. Um, but again, Ricky Dozan, ah, absolute legend, but died on this day, uh, December 15, 1963. How, how is there not a documentary on that guy? Like, how- I, I'm sure there, there might be in Japan, but I'm like, I'm like, it needs to be like seen by wrestling fans all over. <clears throat> Let me look this up here. I gotta know. Yeah. And it, as far as death, you know, he was stabbed in a nightclub. Um, yeah, first it was an accident. The guy stepped on his foot, and he went after the guy, and. He, and got fighting suit and he got stabbed. Uh, legend was uh, Yoke Ricky just took the knife out and continued to party and went home and it got infected and he died. 
another uh, story was he was actually attacked by a member of the of the Yakuza who tried him. Ricky beat the shit out of him, but still got stabbed for his trouble. And um, he kept partying and drinking before going to the hospital. And the wound got infected. Um, again, several stories. No one knows truly. We know he was stabbed and he died from a stab wound, but no one knows if it was um, the knife was tainted or if he did indeed take it out and he continued to drink and made it worse. But either way, uh, Ricky Dozan left us at only 39 years old. I mean, that'll do it. Not yeah. going to the hospital will certainly do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and his match with the Destroyer in May of 1963 uh, drew a 67 share. 67. Fight for, fight for a million, baby. Yeah. And if AEW doesn't lose, eight, goes from 850,000 views to 820,000 views, it's considered a uh, letdown. If they get a million, yeah, it's a big deal and nowadays. But Ricky Dozan was, he was getting 60 shares or an 84 share against Lutez. Absolutely unbelievable. And that, speaking of unbelievable, folks, or amazing or spectacular, and that is a wrestling historian. And you can follow me, if you so choose, on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Legons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me. On all social media platforms at DanLaw83. Uh, I didn't make my screen name my last name because it's a pain in the ass <laughs> to spell. So DanLaw83. Uh, go to DanLaw.tv to watch us live. And if you're already watching us live, go to YouTube.com slash DanLaw83 to watch some highlights. Damn Craig it. Craig Lagans. Damn it. God damn it. Craig Lagans, I am the above average. Com- no, no, I'm not. I'm the other guy now. You're the other guy. I'm, the, I'm just the other guy. <laughs> Good night, everyone.